If you'll join with me, today's scripture reading is from John 12, 1 through 8. If you'd like to follow along in our Pew Bibles, this is page 898. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Today, we have Simon Berdino teaching with us in our John series. So please give him a warm welcome. All right, for any of y'all who don't know me, my name is Simon. If you don't know me, say what's up afterwards. I'd love to meet you. Um, if you're new here, I'm not the regular teacher by any way, shape, or form. Uh, Pastor Al, the regular guy, is hanging, or Al Pastor, as some people like to call him. Um, he's hanging out with family today, so he asked me to kind of get back into the John series. We're going through John, and we are taking one chapter at a time. Whew, buckle up. He's like, yeah, can you teach through John chapter 12? I was like, 12. He's like, 12. Oh, shoot. Okay, so buckle up. All right, so we're going to game plan this thing. Let me pray, and then I'll give us kind of a game plan of where we're going and what we're doing. Lord, we thank you so much uh, for a chance to uh, worship you and to love you, and we thank you for everything you've done. In our lives, we thank you for um, just all these people you've brought here today, and I do pray that you fill me with your spirit, um, that every word I speak uh, would be from you, Lord, and that you'd speak directly to us today, and that you'd challenge us, and that you would bring us closer to you, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what we are going through in John is a gospel narrative. So there are four gospels, there are these eyewitness accounts, and it's a story right? It's not like this isn't going to be a super like clean cut teaching where I have like three points and each one is going to start with the same letter. Um, I'm not a pastor, so I'm not legally obliged to do that sort of thing. <laughs> um, just kidding. But so this is, yeah, a gospel narrative. It's a story. It's like Jesus went here and he did this thing and then people did this. And so the teaching today is kind of going to look like that. We're going to go through this narrative, and it's going to be like, Jesus did this, and we're going to talk about it, and there are lots of things that we're going to stop and learn along the way. So, with me? Let's do this thing. Huh. Steph read the first eight verses, right? Which, uh, when Albert said John chapter 12, I wasn't like, oh, John chapter 12. But then as soon as I opened up my Bible and started reading John chapter 12, I was like, yes! 
the first eight verses, I think, are the most simple and beautiful and profound. They provide the most amazing example of worship I think we have in the entire Bible. And just reading this uh, the last couple weeks as preparing for this, like, I love this whole chapter. It's very beautiful. Man, going through these first, like, eight verses and then seeing where this passage goes from there is just like, it's beautiful. Uh, what Steph read, right, is this, like, dinner party scene where Jesus is eating with some homies. Like, Jesus, it's cool to think about. Like, Jesus, he's, we believe as Christians, we believe that he's fully God and fully man. And if you're not a Christian here today, we're going to talk about some stuff that may be like, what? Like, that's such a trip. And yeah, it is. We are finite beings trying to understand an infinite God as Christians. There are certain things that even as Christians, like I've been a Christian for 15 years now. Um, yeah, like half of my life or whatever. And I don't fully understand this stuff. Like, it's stuff that we are working to understand. And um, we love Jesus and we follow him. There's some stuff that's just like, What? Like thinking about, I love the fact that he's fully God and fully man. So I don't know, sometimes I think of Jesus as kind of like this like sage who just like wandered through life. But the fact is, is like here in chapter 12, we find him just like chilling with his homies. He's literally just like having dinner with his people. And to really understand this, we got to understand who these people are. So it says that here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor in verse 2. It says, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table, then Mary. So pause. We got these three peeps, right? We got Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. To understand these people, we got to rewind back to John. Bless you. John chapter 11, the previous chapter. So the previous chapter, Jesus has these buddies. Like I think about like, like Lazarus. I think about like my day one Enzo. Uh, my good buddy from back in the day, that was kind of like Lazarus to Jesus, this person who's like his friend, but more than a friend. It's like, it's like a brother. It's like someone you really love, like someone you go way back with. And Jesus was really close with this whole family, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. So chapter 11 is a trip. You didn't know this walking in here today, but you actually have a little bit of homework as part of this, uh, as part of this teaching. It is what it is. It's really cool. It's actually good stuff. Don't trip. But I'd say if you haven't for a while, or if you never have, if you're a Christian, if you're not Christian, psh, either way, read the book of John. I say go back and read it. Definitely check out chapters 11 and then 12. And then when you read those, you're going to have to read 13. You're going to want to keep reading. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. But rewind to chapter 11. What happens? So it's this really, honestly, it's really weird. Jesus in his sovereignty, like he hears that Lazarus is sick, like really sick. Think about your day ones, your buddies, the people who like you really love, like this is who Jesus is thinking about. And they say, hey, Jesus, like Lazarus is like, he's not doing well. And Jesus kind of like dilly dallies, like he doesn't like, he's not like, oh shoot, okay, let's, let's go. Like, he kind of hangs out for a little bit, and he finally shows up, and Lazarus had died. And Jesus, he's weeping. He starts crying. And uh, so his sisters, Mary and Martha, one of them says, like, Jesus, like, hey, we believe that, we believe that if you were here, then my brother wouldn't have died. Like, we've seen you heal the sick. Like, we've seen that. And at this point in time, to provide a little more context, like, I think of my old buddy Dave, who's, like, he's a mentor of mine, um, 
a guy who was a big part of how I became a Christian, uh, he would always call this like era in Jesus's ministry. He would call it rock star Jesus. At first, when Jesus started doing ministry, he would like do something amazing. And then he would say like, hey, shh, like keep it low key. Like just kind of be quiet. Like don't go, don't go tell everyone yet. And then all of a sudden, like the dam kind of breaks and Jesus has the disciples with them. And they're just like, powering through towns, like healing the sick. There are all these crazy scenes of this like amazing stuff happening. And then in John chapter 11, everything kind of explodes. Like Jesus comes and they say, hey, Jesus, like Lazarus is sick. We know that you love these guys. And Jesus is torn up. And they said, hey, like, you know, we've seen you heal the sick. We've seen you do all this amazing stuff. But the fact is, is like our brother's dead. And the shortest verse in the Bible, it says Jesus wept. He was super duper sad. Like, this is his buddy. And his sisters are there, and it's this whole thing. And, and Jesus says, like, where is he? They said, well, his tomb's right here, and it's like a cave, basically. And so he says, hey, roll the stone away. And I was listening to this teaching, and in the um, old King James, this verse says, uh, one of the sisters like, no, he, he stinketh, was the uh, OG, like, translation or whatever. They're like, Jesus, like, he's dead. And Jesus says, no, he's sleeping. And it's this really weird, awkward exchange where you're thinking about like, just like the emotions and like, I mean, you're like, you're so sad and Jesus is like, what are you doing? Like you kind of dawdled and you didn't really show up for us and like you're here and like, what? And then Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, something no one has ever seen. I mean, it's this like crazy thing and it's their friend and it's this whole thing like, oh my gosh, what? And all of a sudden, as you'd imagine, all these people, like, so the Jews have been waiting for the Messiah, right? And all of a sudden, it's like sign after sign. Like, could he be the Messiah? Like, could he be? Could this be the one? Oh, what? Word starts getting around. He just raised someone from the dead. He, like, went to his homie's funeral, and that's his bud. That's him. That's Lazarus. We all saw him. He was dead. We buried him. He's alive, and now they're just kicking it at a dinner party. So you think about the context, it's nuts. It's really weird. It's crazy. So here's Jesus, and he's sitting here with his friend who was just dead and his family members. So it says that this dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And we know from a parallel chapter, so these, like I said, are eyewitness accounts. And in uh, Matthew 26, the parallel chapter in Mark 14, um, they give us like a little more details sometimes. Just like if you and I went on a trip, like I would see stuff you wouldn't, or if we just like walk around and something happened, like you'd remember certain things that I won't and stuff. So one of the other places says that they were having this at a leper's house, a guy named Simon the leper, interesting. And so here's this dinner for Jesus' honor. And like Steph read, Mary, sister of Lazarus, right? We're all tracking. She comes in with this super expensive perfume, like, Think of this as like a savings account. And she takes this and she puts it on Jesus' feet. She puts it on Jesus. She like adorns him with it. And then she takes her hair and she wipes his feet. It's a trip. And from there, we have in our passage, just as Judas, Judas looks at this and he's like, shape up. Like, stop making a scene. Like, what's the matter with you? Like, what? this is so expensive. Like, come on, you're making like all this, like for Jesus, like you're just throwing this stuff at his feet, like sell it and like use it for good for the poor or whatever. And he says this thing and it's super judgmental and he misses the point. And Judas is like, 
kind of a punk. Like I mentioned here in the passage that he was a thief. It says that he's like, oh yeah, you know, this is so expensive. You should have put it in our coffers. And then the passage is like, well, yeah, he took money out of the coffers. Of course, that's like where you'd want the money. And Jesus shuts him up and he says, uh, no, man. What she just did was the most appropriate thing to do. And in a parallel passage, what he says is, she's preparing me for my burial. Which is a trip. So if you look at like commentaries and a lot of like a lot smarter people than me who look at this stuff and like they say this weird thing, like Jesus constantly, we'll see in our passage, Jesus, like one of the subheadings is Jesus predicts his death. Jesus always says like, hey, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die. He says, my time has come, which what that means is like, I am here to die, to be a propitiation for your sins. And the disciples just like, for whatever reason, they don't quite like connect that. Like, nope, they just don't get it. And for whatever reason, Mary seems to get that. Like somehow, out of all these people, she just kind of gets that. And so here's Mary, she's at this dinner party. She does this thing, and the disciples, Judas, they're all like, what the heck, man? So, okay, what's happening? Like I said, I think this is like one of the most beautiful examples of worship that we have in the entire Bible. Like stripped down to its basic, like simplest forms. And as Christians, we live a life of worship. Okay, what does that mean? So worship at its simplest form is just seeing God for who he is and responding to that. So Mary, right, she's looking at Jesus and she's looking at this man, the Messiah, who has loved her in ways that she just like, she can't understand it. Like she's just amazed with him. And if that wasn't enough, think about this. Like here Mary is, and she's looking around at like the room of these guys who just should not be together. They should not be functioning. They should not be like, Jesus' crew wasn't, like, a super, he didn't have, like, Harvard grads on his crew. Like, he had a motley bunch of, like, fishermen. He had some straight-up dirtbags on the crew. Like, one of the guys was a tax collector, which, like, okay, whatever. It doesn't really make sense to us in this context. But at the time, like, the Jews were under Roman occupation. And Rome was, they were fiends. They were monsters. What they would do that's very smart is they would find Jews who are basically willing to betray their own people so they didn't have to do the dirty work of like, hey, uh, give me this money, collect, collect the money. They would have Jews do it. And so the Jews hated these tax collectors because they're taking advantage of their own people. They're like notoriously shady. And Jesus had one of these people on his crew. This guy, he said, hey, like you're a tax collector, man. No, you're not anymore. Follow me. And he did. Then he's got fishermen, and Jesus himself was homeless. Like, he was a nomad. Like, he was going from place to place. Like, this is a motley crew. And Mary's, like, looking around the table, and she sees, like, her sister, and her sister's, like, serving dinner and stuff, and she's cooking. And and it's just this scene where she's just, like, I think she just got overwhelmed. Like, she's looking around, and she sees Jesus and who he is and how amazing he is and everything that he's done for her. And she sees Lazarus, her brother, who was dead, who Jesus raised from the dead. And it's like, what does this perfume even mean compared to that? 
Like compared to what he has done for her, nothing. I mean, it's just, it's like the most appropriate thing that she can do is just respond in this way. Which is interesting, right? Like thinking about the context, like we think about worship and we think about like this. We think about like this like this church or we think about like music and instruments and stuff, but you think about this context and like this is a dinner party. This is someone just like getting so overwhelmed with God, just like chilling with their buddies that it just overflows into this dinner party and it becomes this beautiful thing. Like in another passage, in a parallel passage, Jesus says, the disciples are like, ah, this woman, like, what are you doing, Mary? You got to chill. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, she's done a beautiful thing for me. Wherever the gospel is preached, they're going to tell the story of this woman. And he elevates the action of this woman. It's really interesting, too, thinking of like a little more societal context. What she did was very inappropriate, like super duper. According to like the social norms of that day for women, this is completely inappropriate. Like she took her hair down in front of a man who was not her husband, which is like big no-no. Like this, I think this is partially why the disciples were like, dude, what the heck? Like you got to stop. Because according to the cultural norms, this was not okay. Like what she did, like just putting this perfume and rubbing his feet with her hair, it's not appropriate. It isn't. So it's funny. I don't know. I think about this, right? And we as like modern-day Christians here a couple thousand years later, this kind of makes us uncomfortable, like seeing this level of someone just being like so overwhelmed with God that they act like outside of kind of the parameters of what like we're comfortable with. Like we kind of like worship to be like in a box in a Sunday, and we come and we like sing a couple songs, and then we kind of like close that box, and then we kind of like leave and we live our lives. Whereas as Christians, worship should permeate our lives. It should be like a constant state of us focusing on God and knowing who he is and how amazing he is and living in a community where we look left and right and we see the people next to us and be like, whoa, God is so good. Like, this room is filled with people who God has changed, like, drastically. And that pushes us to worship him, right? Like, I think of my old buddy Dave, um, different Dave, oh, that's weird. Yeah, different Dave. (laughs) Uh, We were in this group together, and I, I like, kind of, I would forget this guy who was just, like, he's, he's, like, a little shorter than me. He's, like, pretty buff. He's, like, a fit dude. He's always got, like, a nice haircut. He always, like, dressed cool. And he seems, like, you know, pretty, like, put together. He's like helping out with church. He worked for city team and stuff. And he, I had to like pause and remember sometimes. We're like in this, in this like seminary sort of class together, like theology sort of thing. And we were just always gooning, like just having way too much fun. And at one point I'm like, bro, we need to stop sitting together because we are both super immature. We got to tote it back, man, because we're just like having a blast and stuff. And, and this guy was like a good buddy of mine. And I just think like, whoa wait, hold up. Like when he and I were hanging out just a couple years before, he was a homeless heroin addict. Like dude got sober through city team, became a Christian, like this crazy thing. And it's stuff like that where like in living in community and seeing this stuff, it's like our sort of Lazarus, our sort of like sitting there and looking at each other and being like, whoa, 
God's changed you, and he's changed me. And he's amazing beyond, like, anything that we can imagine. And that pushes us to worship him. So, okay. Uh, there's a song lyric that I really like that comes to mind. It says, um, dress us up in your righteousness. Bring us in with a ring and a kiss. When you walk into the room, you know I can't resist. Every bottle of perfume always ends up on the floor in a mess. So moving on from this, um, the last thing that we can say that's really beautiful is um, so Mary in worshiping Jesus, right? There's this thing where she just kind of like wells up with just amazement. And like I said, worship, simplest, purest form is just looking at God and who he is and what he's done for us and just letting that overflow, like just being so amazed. We just can't help it. Mary, like her worship looked like putting perfume on Jesus, which it says in the passage and in parallel passages, and as we you know, can logically deduce, being smart Bay Area peeps and stuff, this was very fragrant. Like this is something where like her worship had like a scent. It's interesting, right? So the goal in thinking about this is to be a people and a church that's just so overwhelmed with Christ that this like scent of love, compassion, care, sacrificial service just pours out into the bay where people would be like, whoa, you have something. Like, what is this? Whereas like people who aren't Christians would come into this room and be like, there's something here. I don't know what it is. These people are kind of weird. They're kind of like a motley crew of whatever. Like, I don't even know, but they love me. And that's a trip. So that's the goal. All right, we're going to keep reading. It's good stuff, right? I mean, go back and I should definitely read John chapters 11 and like running into 12 makes like a lot of sense. Sometimes we read these stories and it's kind of like flat. Like we're just looking at it in 2D. But none of this happened in 2D. All of this happened in like real time with real people. So I said definitely go back and read like John chapter 11, running into 12. Yeah, so we're going to move on. So uh, yeah, so word of this spreads. And like I said, this is kind of the rock star Jesus era where it's just like all these people are coming to see him and stuff. He's at this dinner party and it says that there is a crowd of people outside. They're there for the Passover feast and they're just like, we got to see this guy. We have to see this guy. And then in verse 12, we're going to start reading. This is really interesting. So verse 12 through 19 fulfills a prophecy, uh, which was prophesied about in Zechariah 9.9. You can check that out. It's a weird scene. It's interesting. Um, but prophecy, I just want to mention, like, if you're not a Christian here today, if you're here just like, I don't know, seeking answers, if you're looking... If you just came with a friend, just because, like, why not? Like, number one, props to you. Major props. If you're a Christian and you're brave enough to wander into a church, major props to you. Uh, this is a great place to ask your questions about God, about spirituality. I hope that you feel comfortable in a church. I know, like, before I was a Christian, like, church is weird, man. Even as a Christian, sometimes I pause and I'm like, what are we doing? This is so weird, you know? Like, I don't know, I'm not really, like, a naturally, like, churchy person. Like, I love the Lord. I love that he saved me. But I just want to say, man, like, if you're not a Christian here, like, props, major props. We're glad you're here. 
And something that I just want to mention is like, if you're a very cerebral person, like a very, like you think about everything and you like process it. If you're not a Christian, something super interesting to look at is just prophecy. It's really weird. There are these prophets who like hundreds of years before Jesus was born would say things like, Zechariah says like, the Messiah is gonna come riding on a donkey. Like that's super specific. John chapter 12, starting verse 12. We're going to read it. Jesus comes in riding on a donkey. All right, here we go. Starting in verse 12, uh, feel free to read along with me, or if you're like me and you have trouble focusing, feel free to like close your eyes and listen. That helps some time. Uh, yeah, so verse 12, it says, The next day a great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So, okay, a couple things we need to explain. The word Hosanna, I was checking out. It's really interesting. So it's basically a cry for the Messiah. It's a cry to be saved. So like I said, the Jews at this time were under Roman occupation, and that is not where you want to be. Rome is gnarly. Like the way they treated, I started just like, I'm not a, I'm not a huge history guy, to be honest. You probably know history people. They have this way of talking. You know what I mean? It's like a radio. It's kind of like white noise. Something about it, like I'm, I'm very closely related. That's my father. I'm very closely related to some people who are really into history. And when they talk, I'm just like, because uh, it's just kind of like details, details. And you're like, oh, this is a long time ago, man. I'm super hungry. <laughs> That's cool, though. I love battleships, though. Sweet, man. So I, I did my best. <laughs> I started to get into the history. And I was reading about like Rome and how they treated insurgents like during this era is disgusting it's really 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 nasty like roman occupation is i mean yeah they were intense and just the way that they like oh yeah these people like there's this insurrection just crucify all of them like they were torture masters they were really gnarly and the jewish people they're looking for a deliverer Someone to deliver them from this Roman occupation, which they have all these prophecies about the Messiah, right? So for them, in their cultural context, for the Messiah to come and save them, they were like, oh, cool, he's saving us from Rome. That's what he's saving us from. That is our biggest problem, is Rome. This monstrosity, these, this greater power that's just like, they're our thing, like, we gotta get rid of them. When they're saying Hosanna, what they're saying is, hey, we believe that you're the Messiah. We believe that. Like, you just, you just raised this guy from the dead. We have seen all these miracles. We've seen you do things that, 
like even if we didn't want to, like we believe it. Save us from Rome. So he's coming in. So this is hard, right? Because Jesus wasn't quite the Messiah they were looking for. Like, think about this. Like, he's coming in riding on a donkey, and he's this homeless rabbi. Like, he's not coming in as, like, Spartacus, or he's not, like, on a horse with a sword and a shield, like, let's get Rome. That's who they wanted. But he says, no, I'm here to save you from your sins. Like, sins? Like, have you not heard of Rome? Like, why, what? And the fact is, is that Jesus came to die for their sins and for our sins. Sometimes we get caught up in, like, all this other stuff, right? Like, I mean, nowadays, it's really interesting. Like, so many people just get so caught up in politics. Like, just to address that directly, like, I mean, I've seen it. I've, I've been there and stuff. And, like, so many people get caught up in sort of, like, other issues that aren't actually the root of the problem. Like the root of the problem is, is sin, which is what Jesus came to save us from. And a lot of these people we're going to see were super disillusioned. Like looking through the Gospels, you see this over and over again where Jesus is like, hey, I'm, I'm here to save you from your sins. I have to die to do that. And they're like, like, it doesn't make sense to them. Like, no, 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 the Romans have to die. Not you. Like it just doesn't quite make sense because a lot of times what we do like, we can look at the Jews and say, like, oh, come on, guys. Like, you didn't get this. Come on. We do the same thing. We look at Jesus, and we kind of, like, want him to be what we want him to be. Like, he says all this stuff in the Bible, and we're like, okay, cool, yeah, 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 cool. But I just kind of want you to be, like, the one who saves me from hell at the end of my life. And I kind of just want to do my thing in the meantime. And we have this framework that we put on him just like people that we see here. So what's the answer? Verse 20, read along with me. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to sell Andrew, Andrew, and, and Philip in turn told Jesus. So this is interesting. So Philip has a Greek name. And so it was kind of cool because the Greeks were like, oh, Philip, what's up, dude? Like, hey, man. Like, it's kind of this like connection where they're like, hey, dude, we're Greek. What's up? Your name's Philip. That's a Greek name. That's super tight. We want to talk to Jesus. I love just like the humanity of the gospels. Like there's this like little telephone chain where it says like, hey, we want to talk to Jesus. And like Philip went to find Andrew and then they like went to find Jesus like I said, this isn't like, this isn't like linear. They're not all hanging out in the same spot or whatever. Like they're all out doing all this stuff. And so these guys are like, hey, we want to talk to Jesus. Like, how do we do that? And so they went and they found Jesus. And in verse 23 says, Jesus replied, and like I said, predicting his death, it says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Verse 27, catch this. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? 
Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. In verse 30, Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not for mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, predicting his crucifixion, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. In verse 34, the crowd spoke up, and we have heard from the law that the Christ, which is the Messiah, will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? So again, the whole expectations gap of like, what are you talking about? Like, you're not who we expected you to be. In verse 35, it says, Then Jesus told them, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you, which is a nod back to John chapter 1. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. All right, that's a lot, right? There's a lot going on. Jesus has a sort of like dialogue. I like this Bible because the words of Jesus are in red and there are these blocks where it's just like Jesus speaking. And out of all that, I think verse 27 where it says, now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This is a model prayer that you and I can pray every single moment of every single hour. Still never quite get it, which is huge. So as Christians, right, like we live a life of surrender. A life of saying, like, God, there's what I want to do, and typically what I want to do is king. It's supreme. It's tippy-top. As a Christian, it's living a life of reprioritization, of saying, God, what do you want me to do, and how do I surrender to that? Like, just thinking about this whole thing with the Messiah, right? It's not saying, Jesus, here's who I want you to be, but it's saying, Jesus, who are you? And how do I worship you? And how do I love you? The way that you loved me and the way that you love the people around me. The Christian life is one of surrender, which Jesus models, of course, perfectly for us. Like, I love just kind of the flow of verse 27. Like, to me, verse 27 almost reads like a psalm. And sometimes when you read the psalms, they start in a really dark, place like they start with David saying like all my enemies are surrounding me like God I'm toast like I don't know what to do God I'm an idiot I've messed up and then by the end he's just worshiping God he's just amazed with God in verse 27 we see almost that type of flow where Jesus starts off and Jesus our perfect example for everything right he says now my heart is troubled and at the end verse 28 he just ends with saying father glorify your name so it's this beautiful almost progression of Jesus saying, like, my heart is troubled. Like, I'm really concerned about this. But God, I trust you. And my will isn't the king. It's not supreme. It's not all there is in my life anymore. 
I mean, for all y'all Christians in the room, before we were saved, that was all we had, is just what we wanted to do. And how'd that work out for y'all? Probably about as well as it worked out for me, and it didn't work out for me. I mean, before I was a Christian, I got to a point where I'm just like, wow, I've done an amazing job of screwing up my life. I was getting F's in school, but man, I got an A plus in screwing up my life. I tell you what. And it's saying like, God, I've tried to do this thing, but I surrender to you. And Jesus is our perfect example of that. All right. So like I said, the Christian life is a life of surrender, a life of giving up our comfort, or giving up what we want to do, which is hard. I mean, a lot of us like live in the Bay because we want to be successful, right? Like we want to be somebody. We want to do cool stuff. We want to change the world. Like, I mean, I'm from a little farming town, y'all. Like, I chose to live out here. I mean, it was as much fun as it was growing up and all my friends, you know, don't really do anything, you get into drugs and you go steal car tires and stuff. It's like, man, I don't know. This place, I don't know, it's rough. And we all are like, no, I want to I want to do better. I want to be better. I want to go to school. I want to make a buck. I want to make my parents proud. and I want to be this person. And a lot of times we, even as Christians, prioritize all this stuff over God. And today I just want it to be a reminder. Like, I mean, I've been, shoot, I've been sitting with this butt kicker for like three weeks now studying this. I'm like, oh, man, ouch. Just thinking about how much I like prioritize just myself over God, and I think today is just a good time to just pause and think about, like, what do we prioritize? Like, are we able to say, God, not my will, but your will be done? Like, that's huge. Are we able to say, like, above all, like, God, glorify your name through me. Don't glorify my name. Like, I'm nothing, but God, you are everything. All right, so we're going to keep reading in verse 37. It says, even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deaded their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts in turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Check this. Do not miss this. Verse 43. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. So priorities, like we're talking about, right? These people serve a great example of just like it says it so clearly there, like they love praise from men more than praise for God. And if you're not a Christian in here today, becoming a Christian is just flipping that. Saying like, what does man have to offer? Like, what does this world have to offer? You can have everybody around you respect you and feel empty. You can have all the money in the bank. You can have all the degrees. You can have the coolest resume ever or whatever, but okay. You can't take any of that with you. It's like, what are we looking for? What am I looking for? 
Uh, verse 44, let's keep reading. We're going to wrap this thing up. So then Jesus cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one believes in me should stay in darkness. Again, looping back to John chapter 1. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I do not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his commands lead to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father had told me to say. So again, Jesus is just this perfect example of surrender. Of just saying like, God, what do you want me to say? How do I worship you best? How do I love these people around you? All right. A lot of stuff here, right? A lot of stuff to think about. And I pray that today that all of us leave uh, with a lot of stuff in our mind. And just, I'm, I'd say definitely go back and keep reading through John and just think about this. Um, if you're a Christian here today, if you're a follower of Christ, if you've followed Christ for a year, if you followed him for 50 years, whatever, I think we're all in the same boat and that we can all grow in our worship and our surrender to Christ. A lot of times we have this way of surrendering our life to God as Christians, but then our days get kind of muddy. You know what I mean? Like we're like, hey God, like I give you my life. But then day to day, sometimes, like we come to church on a Sunday and we worship him and then we just kind of stop and then we like go to work and we do our thing and we live our life and then we come back next Sunday and we're like, oh shoot, I haven't thought about God for like a week. And now we're back in church. I guess it's time to think about God again. And we live our life like that a lot of times because our priorities are kind of mixed up. So one thing that I would challenge you, one thing that's really been challenging me, looping back to the beginning of this chapter, right? Focus on God. Think about him and who he is. And that itself is enough to just change every single minute of every single day of our lives. Then also think about what he's done. Think about what he's done for you and for the people around you. And if you're not a Christian here today, same thing. Think about this God that you hear about, like preached from this pulpit or somewhere else, that you hear about maybe from your friends who are Christians. Like, think about this God and ask yourself, is this who I was supposed to live for? Is this who I'm supposed to live for? Like, these people are asking, like, are you the Messiah? Like, ask those questions. Like I did 15 years ago, and shoot, here we are now. Like, he is the one who loves you more than anything else. I wholeheartedly believe that. Man, like, if you're not a Christian, it's... Like, just speaking to how I felt before, like, I, I just felt kind of like a, like a derailed train. Like, something wasn't right. Like, it was just off. And that's because we were all created to worship God to know him for who he is and to receive his love 
and to worship him in return. But we broke that. We broke that. We said, nah, God, I think I'm going to do my own thing. Which, moving into a time of communion, if you don't have a communion cup, you can raise your hand. We'll get you one. Uh, moving into communion, like, I think it's important to remember that this isn't like, I don't know, the next section of the service, or it's not like, these are all different parts, right? It's not like, like we come and we sing some songs to God, and then there's like the next part where we're like, here's some rando, talk about the Bible, and then we all like eat this little snack or something. But as Christians, um, when we take communion, what we're doing is thinking back to his sacrifice. So all of this that we're reading about in John, spoiler alert, is leading up to Jesus being crucified, to him dying for us, and then rising from the dead to prove that he has conquered death for us so that we can live a victorious life. And man, just thinking about that, like thinking about his sacrifice for us, like that pushes us to worship, right? That pushes us to be like, God, you are amazing. You have done everything for me, absolutely everything, and we can't help but respond to him. So let's think about that as we take communion. So, all right, out of Mark 14, which is a parallel passage to our passage today, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Let's remember his body. A sacrifice for us. We'll take the bread together. Then he took a cup, and when they had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the blood of Christ that is poured out for you. Let's take the cup together. Lord, we thank you for who you are, and we treasure you and we love you. We thank you so much for everything that you've done for us, and God, we pray that you would show us how to respond to you, that you would show us how to love you like you've loved us. We pray that we could just be an example in the bay, in uh, Oakland or Berkeley or wherever we find ourselves, Lord, and um, that we would just be an example of you and of your love, and that we would bring your love to our cities, to the bay, uh, that you would use us uh, where we work, with our families, wherever, Lord, um, to just bring your love to the people who we know, God. And we thank you for everything you've done for us. And we love you. And we can't say it enough, God. And we praise you, God. And praise in Jesus' name. Amen.